Welcome to episode 6 of the Phases of the Moon Knight podcast. Each week we will read a stack of classic Moon Knight comics, then get together and talk about characters, villains, and stories with an eye towards how these stories may connect to the Disney Plus Moon Knight show that's set to debut on March 30th. We'll also be discussing comic history, comic reading, and Moon Knight-related news. My name's Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, welcome. Hey. Glad to be here. Excellent to be starting on Volume 2. Yes, we have a very interesting stack this week. Definitely something that potentially has some impact on the uh, the TV show. Uh, let's Let's dive in and talk about it here. We've got... The stack this week includes the second volume of Moon Knight, which is also known as Moon Knight Fist of Khonshu. Uh, this series started in 1985 and lasted just six issues. Uh, even so, it featured the Arthur Harrow character in a one-and-done story in issue two. And since Harrow is supposedly the, the main villain of the Moon Knight T- Disney Plus TV series... This uh, could definitely be where a lot of inspiration for the show may have come from. So we'll be looking at that. And then we also have three Marvel fanfare issues that feature Moon Knight. And we'll talk a little bit more about how Marvel keeps characters visible when they don't have their own book. So lots lots to get into this week. Why don't you, why don't you go through and start talking about uh, the, the stack? So this week, it is a relatively short stack of comics. Slightly easier week for Dwayne than we've had recently, which I suspect <laughs> he appreciates. Um, yes. So we've got six Moonlight Volume 2 books, and then also three Marvel fanfares, which we'll talk about what those are and kind of how Marvel uses those as we go along. Um, the Moon Knights came first. Volume 2 uh, came out in, uh, as we noted, 1985. And the Marvel Fanfare books are a couple years later, when Moon Knight doesn't actually have his own series. So, if we go in and sort of lead off with issue one of Moon Knight Volume 2. The Fist of Khonshu series reboots Moon Knight yet again, right? Um, Makes a lot of changes to the character, to his supporting cast. A lot of different things here that they're changing. Uh, So it begins with Mark Spector, who no longer uses the Stephen Grant persona when he's a millionaire. Now he's just Mark Spector. He's still rich. He's retired, living the life of a philanthropist with Marlene. Uh, He's at this point even getting to where he's letting go of the Conchu statue, which you remember he was very attached to that back in Volume 1, which he's auctioning off for charity. Uh, That auction, the statue's purchased by two sort of sketchy bidders. Uh, who kill off their competition with a poison cane while making sure that the statue goes to their secretive boss, who we're going to learn more about later. Soon after that, Spectre is visited by a vision of Kanchu and ends up going into the desert in Egypt where he finds a secret temple. There's priests there that have evidently been hiding there for thousands of years. Uh, They give him a new costume, new weapons, new powers, and a new mission where he's going to continue to do Kanchu's bidding sort of more directly, where they're he, he gets visions delivered into his head and then has to go off and take care of whatever injustice it is that those visions are telling him about. Marlene is not happy about all of this, and Evan, she does decide to actually leave him. Um, but Spectre just has to, to follow the visions and wanders off uh, after Conchu and doing his bidding. 
So we find out the bidders at the auction had purchased the statue for someone who was actually the brother of the Pharaoh Seti way back in Egyptian times. Uh, he was a priest um, and he was killed and then resurrected on the same night as Spectre. Um, he sort of got some of that residual resurrection energy, found him in his part of the tomb. And, and so then he woke up and has been amassing fortunes and has become the jackal, building up this army on a special island and planning to take greater power in the world again. So, with Conchu's help, Moon Knight then defeats him, and essentially the big sandstorm of some sort comes up and pretty much wipes out all traces of the jackal and all of his followers. And with that, Moon Knight is back. So, go for it, Dwayne. What do you got <laughs> for me? <laughs> I... I have to tell you, I read that first issue and I was confused basically through the rest of, of volume two because we had at the beginning of, of book one, we had basically what I can only call a retelling of the resurrection. Uh, you know, we've seen this before where to try and catch people up on, mm -hmm. on what has happened they kind of redo or retell us what happened previously. Sure. Well, the way it looked different because there were different artists, there was a different writer with this story than, than you know, Bill uh, mentions and Kevich. And, and so it looked different to me. It felt like there were details that were different. It just mm -hmm. felt like it almost... It got me to start thinking about other timelines. And now I know that that is that it like that's not necessarily like the thing I should have been thinking about, but given where we are in the current state of the MCU and things like that with No Way Home and and Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness that that is actually going to be coming out later this year, that's where I started thinking. And I started thinking that way, and yet I'm still seeing references to Volume 1. You know, we had, you know, we have villains that come back from, from Volume 1. We have just situations. We had names. We had places, different things like that. And, and so it took me all week to realize there was a sequence of panels that talked about death and rebirth in between this re retelling of the resurrection and kind of the bringing us to where we are here. And that's how we know that, that, uh, Mark Grant retired that, you know, the, and all this sort of thing. And I just did not get that. Maybe that just was like how they kind of talk about volume one without actually talking about volume one. A so am I, am I at all, so there, there is, there is only one timeline here, according to Marvel. The idea of multiple timelines didn't come in with really DC or Marvel until later. DC'd actually, I shouldn't say that. DC'd been dabbling in it since the '60s with Earth One and Earth Two and the multiverse, but Marvel really kept things a lot more linear. And uh -huh. so this is just a matter of them essentially doing what Marvel always does, which is they reboot everything, they change everything, but they never officially actually take any of that previous stuff out of continuity. So everything in Volume 1 
still happened, and Volume 2 just layers on top of it. But yeah. people disappear, things change, and it's harder to take in this one than in many. Because even with things like when we're going to talk about Morpheus, it's weird because Morpheus was cured yeah. in the middle of Volume 1. And now, inexplicably, he's Morpheus again with the weird face back in a hotel room or a, a, a hospital bed in right. Volume 2. And there's no no explanation of why. So I get why you were confused. Yeah, and that yeah. is why being a Moon Knight <laughs> fan can be weird. This, yeah. this is not the last time this is going to happen to you either. So okay. Just, well, just get used great. to it. That's great, all great, I can great. say. The, the whole idea of these, th- these three priests that he suddenly gets visions from directly now... Mm-hmm. I have to say, it's one of the weirdest things I've seen. It is, it was, it, it it played out entirely through the 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 volume two. Uh, it even showed up in one of the fanfare stories. Um, so presumably, I'm thinking this is something that's going to stick around for a little bit. But again, it could get rebooted again, and and, and not necessarily be a thing. But I. I can't say that I'm a big fan of that, necessarily. It's, it's definitely a far more overtly mystical Moon Knight than we'd seen yeah. before. Sure. You know, there's there's no real question at this point that the Egyptian gods are somehow or another actually toying with Mark Spector and sort of, in, in a greater extent, with humanity. So, this is, this is weird, this is different. It's also strange, just in terms of the changes they make to the character, right? Because we've again got a new outfit, so it looks a little bit different. He's got a sort of a more streamlined an outfit. It's got specifically these these sort of like um, bracelets and, and other things with an onk that are specifically almost like uh, relics of Kanchu that he's wearing mm-hmm. as part of his costume. He's also now, instead of his darts, he's got throwing knives so they've changed a number of things in terms of the things he's bringing with him. And he's got his weird powers back, where now, yet again, when he started out, his powers kind of got stronger and weaker based on the whether it was day or night. And then that went away, and now Zelenitz brings it back. So yep. that's the other thing to note, is that the writer here is Alan Zelenitz, who was somebody who wrote a few of the last issues of, of Moon Knight Volume 1. And then Chris Warner is drawing them. And Warner's somebody who a lot of people really liked. Like these early Warner issues, as far as the the look of them, is something that a lot of the people, if you look at like the, the letter columns and stuff like that, they really did enjoy them. Uh, he doesn't stick around a whole long time, though. I think he makes like three or four issues, and then, and then he's off, at least for now. So for those who are... You know, fans of of the art. The first few issues of this are actually drawn pretty well, uh, but there's a lot of kind of crazy things going on with the story. Yeah, I, this 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 book did not set me up to be like excited about the rest of the volume, and and so I I definitely felt like the rest of the issues needed to make up for it because I was literally confused by what was going on and. Um, yeah, I guess we're going to go on and talk about the rest of them. And sure. it, it just, it just, I don't know. I, I, I felt comfortable, I guess would be the best way to put it. I felt comfortable with the Moon Knight character by the time we reached the end of volume one. 
I did not feel comfortable with the character any longer after what happened in issue one of volume two. There you go. So, I mean, just to kind of, you know, for folks who haven't read them yet, to kind of let you know some of the things that might have been causing you some distraction. Um, Frenchie's gone. Marlene relatively quickly is gone. Uh, we don't see anything of Gina or the kids anymore, really. A lot of, you know, his entire Jake Lockley personality being gone then sort of takes out that entire ecosystem that that character sort of worked within as well, it seems. Right. And so they've now turned him into a much more streamlined character. You know, somebody who, he just has the one personality, he's just Mark Spector. He is now more of a mystical servant, uh, kind of on call to Khonshu to go where he needs and, and do these things. And a lot of the things that if you like Moon Knight back in Volume 1 kind of made him different are sort of gone now or have been modified. Uh, also, this is still some big issues because they're still doing the 40-page stories. So it's a long story to get through. A lot happens in this uh, to get us to that point. Um, I also, by the way, couldn't help but think that if you if you remember in Indiana Jones when... He goes to the to the final cave and finds the old knight. It, it's got very much a vibe of that, actually, when he goes into the cave with, with the priests of Khonshu. They've just been sitting there waiting forever for him, it seems. Uh -huh. So uh, I, I think that there were some interesting things they tried here, and I don't fault them for trying it. But I think what we're going to find is that, you know, retrospect, uh, history has already spoken on this. When something only lasts six issues, the reboot obviously felt the same way to a lot of other people that it did to you. Okay. And this was not this was not a change that set him up for success because right. the book never got off the ground at all, right? So in any case though, so at the end of the first issue, Moon Knight's back, he's kind of this servant of Khonshu. He doesn't have all the psychological problems he had before, but he's also lost most of his support staff. So Moving into issue two, he's actually kind of lurking around, um, hoping to find Marlene at a party where he thinks she might be at. Of course, he ends up getting in a fight, and then she sees him fighting, and she runs away. Doesn't go well. While he's trying to chase her, he gets another vision, this time of a disfigured man, a beautiful woman, some people who look like they've got weird spikes in their head, and then a hotel in the Yucatan. So he takes off to that hotel and just as he's kind of settling in at the pool, he sees the woman from his vision. Uh, a couple minutes later, she's kidnapped and he then gives chase as Moon Knight, jumps onto the kidnapper's van, eventually totals that van and saves the woman. What he finds out is that her name is Dr. Victoria Grail. She's investigating someone named Dr. Arthur Harrow, a name that we've all kind of heard recently. Uh, he's a famous medical researcher who she suspects of resuming unethical Nazi-era experiments on human subjects. That is, of course, exactly what he's doing, right? <laughs> uh, and they find him doing that in the ruins of a Mayan temple. Moon Knight then has to fight through all of the victims uh, as Harrow gets away with the help of a shadowy organization called Omnium, where at the end they sort of speared him away to some other place and we find that They've got some plans that, that are continuing into the future. Right. So, what'd you think, sir? Uh, 
if I hadn't been looking for Arthur Harrow because of the TV show and knowing that Ethan Hawke is going to be playing him, that he might be the big, the main villain of this upcoming TV series, this issue would not really have resonated in any way, shape, or form. It was, it was okay. It was fine. It was not special. It didn't seem particularly interesting or pretty well done by any stretch of the imagination i mean like the i i mean the most the the biggest thing i took out of it was how just obsessed mark specter is with marlene it's almost uncomfortably so actually it's not that, healthy the 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 beginning of this was just not good and then and then at the end of the issue he's like making out with this victoria grail character yeah. and it's and it's like and yet he's still like oh forgive me marlene you're not together so what so so there's that and like yeah, i mean problems. there was no there was no real confrontation between moon knight and arthur harrow arthur harrow kind of just gets away while he's fighting fighting these the these victims of of his work and then we have this omnium that we don't really know what it is. We do we we hear it in this episode or this issue, and then we never see it again. And so correct. And and as a note, just to let put your mind at ease, uh-huh. no one in the Marvel universe has ever heard of it again. Oh, great! It is it is literally a one and done. It's like an organization, and that's the thing about this that to me. It is a it's a mostly forgettable story with the one thing that's interesting that it appears to be the setup for a larger story that's going to carry out over time sure. that just is completely trashed and nothing ever happens with. So maybe Zelenitz wrote a really, really cool script with Arthur Harrow and Omnium that's been sitting in a drawer at Marvel for 35 years and they finally dusted it off for the Moon Knight series, right? But outside of that... I I have a really tough time believing that this is actually the character that Ethan Hawke is playing. I don't yeah. actually buy it at this point. Yeah. And I'm increasingly <laughs> becoming a conspiracy theorist that they just put that name out there to distract people. Mm. And that really this is just going to be the Sun King he's playing. Okay. But okay. we will see. Because there is, you know, after reading this and going through it again, there's two or three things about Harold that sort of define what little there is of him. One of them is that he is disfigured because of a neurological problem, and that's part of the reason why he's trying to get these experiments done, is to help himself and other people who have these problems. Mm -hmm. Well, when we see Ethan Hawke's character, there doesn't seem to be anything in any way like physical deformities or problems um, with him. And nothing in, in the rest of the previews or anything else sort of leads to any of the the other things, what little of it there is that would be about him. It's just such a thin character. It It's really weird. So, yeah. but yeah, as far as the story goes, it was, it was mostly interesting to me just in terms of how, how much it wasn't there. Like, where I'm, I'm literally just going, this has to be something that there was a plan to do something else with and it just never got... Never got done because Zelenitz and Warner left the series. It was getting canceled, whatever else. 
that so. that that would make sense and and like if 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 this was a setup to a bigger story a larger story a you know several several more times potentially going back with either involving Arthur Harrow or just the Omnium organization I think I think you could have had something kind of interesting there the 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 setup was there I think they did a really good job of keeping things uh, you know, all the players in the field kind of thing and, and keep things mysterious enough that you didn't really get anything out of it so that they could come back to it and it would have been really interesting. But yeah, we never we never got that chance. Yep. Uh, so I would al- I would also notate the Fontaine name for Marlene came back in this issue, too, for, yes. for what that's worth. Because because she's gone back to her other name now. Or, yeah. So would that be her married name then? Is that is that? I what think that that's is? her married name. Yes, because okay. uh, because her brother is Peter Allrand or whatever. Yeah. So that's her maiden name would have been Allrand. So we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get down towards the MCU side of things. But as far as the book itself, right. um, the only other thing that was interesting was there was kind of a callback to some of the Hulk stories because the the whole putting electrodes in people's head is really a thing for Moon Knight villains. There's a lot of doctors, and they stick a lot of big metal electrodes in people's heads. Because this is almost... They looked almost exactly the same as some of the, the guys that were being experimented on back in the Hulk issues. Moving on to issue number three. So this yes. one, yet again, I'm sure there's no confusion here, uh, Morpheus comes back. If you'll remember, when we last saw Morpheus, at the end of volume one, number 23... He had been attacking Moon Knight and everyone out in the woods by this cabin. And Peter Allrand had gotten a bunch of energy in him that was sort of negative energy. Went up and actually sacrificed himself, bringing Morpheus back to normal. And sort of um, healing him, giving him his humanity back. Which means that, you know, you had this sort of story arc where he made the monster and then he cured the monster... Monster's gone, right? Now, for some reason we have no understanding of, the monster is back, sedated in a hospital room, and wakes up because yet again they get his medication wrong, uh, attacks the hospital staff, enlists a number of patients as his henchmen, ends up giving them these trippy powers that can give people hallucinations and the like in the process. And, of course, right in the middle of it, Marlene has now gone back to work or to school for social work, She's at this hospital, sees what's going on, and calls Spectre to come in and help. He then shows up. Flint is standing there, and evidently, as usual, he doesn't really do anything except wait for Moon Knight. As Moon Knight's (laughs) going in, he he gives him this tear gas gas grenade and says, Here, maybe I can help. Here's here's some tear gas. Um, Turns out that is critical, because actually Moon Knight gets relatively badly beaten up by Morpheus' lackeys. And eventually uses the tear gas to save himself, uh, at which point he's able to go and find Morpheus and Marlene on the sort of uh, roof of the hospital. And he's able to, at the last minute, inject Morpheus with the whatever drug it is that puts him back to sleep. This is a weird story. It's good to see Morpheus again, but, I mean, what'd you think? So, <laughs> yeah, they're... they're I like I like the Morpheus villain. I think he's actually one of the better villains that that Moon Knight has to go up against. Definitely 
like I think we've talked about maybe one of the most powerful villains that he that that Moon Knight uh, ends up going up against, and so I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. mind that. Yeah, the the idea there's this they talk about a nurses strike and and how these replacement nurses are following up all the medications, and then all of a sudden Morpheus is Morpheus again. It's like. Did you really give him like that wrong of medication that, that, that suddenly is is like a psychotic killer again? Yep. That's that seems so. crazy, but uh, you know the four henchmen each had kind of their own thing, and we're we're beating on Moon Knight once he gets there, which was uh, you know kind of kind of interesting, and uh, you know definitely calls back to the hallucinations that 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 uh marlene's brother was able to 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 do uh on on like frenchie and and marlene and on moon knight mm-hmm. actually when they were when fighting during issue 23 but i don't know this as far as these kind of bouts with morpheus went this one felt anticlimactic compared to the first two uh the previous encounters were were i thought a lot more interesting uh basically he the after he tear gasses the the uh, the henchmen that are actually just other patients in the hospital, the this random doctor that came in with Flint says, "Call if we only could have given him this serum, he would have gone to sleep." And so he he coats one of his darts with it and then throws it at at, at Morpheus with his back turned, and that's how this ends. It's just it's it's no. just. It it felt rushed a little bit. It felt just anticlimactic and just didn't feel, I guess, worthy of a Morpheus return. I guess more than anything else. But you know, as we talked about, maybe he shouldn't have been there in the first place. Because like, how did he be there to begin with? I also think it's it's interesting to see somebody else draw a Morpheus story because Sienkiewicz's stuff is so perfect for that sort of weird nightmare scape kind of character. And Warner did a good job, but his art is a lot more traditional. And so I think that it, it doesn't have quite that nightmare fuel uh, in terms yeah. of, of it as well. I would but, agree. So yeah, these are a little weird. Uh, I also find it odd that, Ar- that Marlene has been like, you know, invited to speak on archaeology in foreign countries and now, instead of pursuing that, she's decided to go into social work. Uh-huh. Um, that's going back to her ex-husband. It just seems like they have no idea what to do with this character right now, and it's a little bit disappointing, actually. And, and I, you have noted here something that I noticed as well. We have this new character that just springs up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. The, this gentleman named Spence, sure, uh, who is the director of and acquisitions for the Spectre Museum that we find out that part of the Mark Spectre philanthropist efforts during the first issue is he you know basically created this gallery where he donates a bunch of um, a bunch of relics and different things and so this this Spence is helping him acquire and then put on, you know, put on display the the all these different things, and so he's like doing biking out in front of the mansion at the beginning of this issue, and, and Spence is like clocking him on times and stuff. So he's like, he, he's definitely playing like the 
Frenchie role from volume one in the in this yeah. volume. It, it's really weird. And yeah, why why exactly they decided to move on from Frenchie? I think what it, it amounts to is that because they're doing more mystical stuff, they wanted somebody who had that ability to sort of find and explain artifacts and things like that. And sure, Marlene that sort sense. of Marlene sort of took that role before a little bit. And mm-hmm. now with her gone, they wanted to do something else. So evidently that's kind of what they decided. Um, but he doesn't really have anything to do with the Moon Knight side of things. He's just somebody who, there's a weird artifact and he explains what's going on with it. And then he makes ostensibly a bunch of money for Mark Spector while he's in the process of it. The the end of the issue where 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 Spectre's just like I'm gonna go confront yeah. Marlene. I I think we need to get back together. And then she's like there with the ex husband who's in a wheelchair, yeah. no less. Just felt oh god, this obsession thing is just continuing because like initially he wasn't even gonna go. He he. The only reason he's helping is because Marlene is in trouble and something could happen to Marlene. And again, it's that obsession thing. That just yeah, it's it's real kind of off-putting throughout these issues. He has he has his issues. Yeah. So then we go to we go to issue four, as well. So this one, we got a, a crazy misogynist pirate who's going around kidnapping women, chaining them up in an old castle. Uh, calls himself Bluebeard. He's taunting the police by sending a journalist named Perrin this information about his crimes. Uh, his fifth victim then turns out to be. The journalist's boss, who's the publisher of the paper, uh, Moon Knight, decides to investigate this only again after it turns out that one of his friends, the publisher, is involved. He's he's sort of trying to ignore some of these prophecies that are coming from uh, from Kanchu now. Um, but when he goes to Perrin's apartment, he finds the article for tomorrow's paper already written, talking about the murder of the five women that's going to happen today. She's so like, oh, I know, I know who this guy is. So <laughs> at that point, he races out to the location where the women were going to be found, um, finds Bluebeard, disables him kind of by knocking out the, the keys he's using um, to sort of control everyone, and then saves the day. But this is one of those stories you'd call problematic in the modern world, I would suspect. It, uh, it's... It's got a very, very unpleasant portrayal of Kate Prick, who's the publisher, really sort of domineering, unpleasant, and, you know, the guy's trying to get back at her for that. Um, and then just in general, the whole thing is, yeah, not not one of my favorite stories either. It's pretty, again, pretty straightforward in a lot of ways. But what did you think, sir? It, it, yeah, not good would be the would be a charitable way of saying it i think it it just i mean the story seemed very obvious i guess would be the best way of putting it it seemed exactly what you would expect it to be the the this bluebeard character was 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 terrible just absolutely terrible and like the the thing that there was you know we had the the last woman kate brick was was like taken right after she was in the shower so she basically has almost nothing on and it was just the the thing i liked i think the best about this is how we had bluebeard who looks like this believable character like this is who this is and like this is what you're getting into 
until the point where he gets knocked out and then suddenly it just looks like this ridiculous like beard thing that doesn't yes. even look like it, it basically looks like the beard on on like a set of glasses things you know just an absolutely ridiculous costume is basically what it looked like right after you know we realize who it actually is that it's like oh you had no way of knowing that this was going to be somebody other than yes you know this author and so you had this and then like the the other thing that was interesting to me was usually before you end the bad guy they get the big exposition to explain what exactly they were doing why they were doing it all that sort of thing well the villain gets taken care of and it actually is the boss uh woman kate brick who ends up explaining yeah this guy was a terrible reporter we didn't you know he 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 couldn't he couldn't cut science we got laughed at when he was writing articles and so you know obviously he got it to work and decided to Mm -hmm. recompense on all of us and this so so it was actually the kind of the villain exposition went to one of the victims as opposed to the villain the monologue essentially is done by someone else that's right that is true so, but but other than that, this is terrible. Let us let us yeah. speak of two things, but not of the story anymore. I had a couple of things that I did want right. to visit about. One yeah. is, did you notice that on the credits, instead of a penciler and an inker, it showed that we had breakdowns and finishes? You might not have not, seen that. So I did not notice. That. I wanted to explain what that is because okay, uh, we have Warner and Hammer. So Chris Warner uh, did part of the issue, and then also with another artist on what's called breakdowns. And what breakdowns are essentially, it's it's a, a style of making art where the first artist does sort of the panel layouts, where the figures are going to be, a lot of the, the basic positioning and action and stuff like that. But they either don't have time or there's just a plan for them only doing so much to where they don't really finish the art as far as a normal penciler were. So on this issue, what you have is you have two guys essentially laying out the pages and getting stuff ready, and then Danny Bolandi coming on and essentially finishing the artwork, meaning he's doing essentially the job of the penciler and the inker, but starting at a stage when pretty much the pages had already been laid out and all of the figures placed where they were and whatever, but just not much detail put in. So... Finishing is a much more time-intensive uh, process than inking, and it also means that Bulandi then would have a lot more control and a lot more influence over what the finished art looks like. So this would have looked less like Chris Warner than the stuff that was previously stuff he'd penciled and was inked by someone than what he did here. That's um, very, very interesting. It happens every once in a while, not that often. So, okay, so and what is the what is the other thing? Then, the other thing talking? is that um, I've been noticing that Flint is becoming in a lot of these issues almost more like a Commissioner Gordon type of thing. I don't know <laughs> if you've noticed that, but where we're like he's you know Moon Knight comes in his window outs, yeah, or something, yeah. and and then he goes in and, and you know Moon Knight swoops in and talks to him for a while, gets the information he needs, and then goes off and saves the day while Flint is just sort of hanging out doing his thing. So all, all he needs is a Moon Knight symbol. That and, would be, uh, and then, that would, <laughs> then, be then awesome. we would be set. Yes, you know, 
moon yes he, he definitely seems like to be just be sort of there standing around outside oh. of wherever the action is and has a so. couple panels where it explains what's going on and then moon knight's like i'll take it from okay. here exactly so so there we go yeah issue four and again um you know it's, it's interesting that there's not really again an, an overarching story here we don't really have it building to anything it's kind of just moving from these individual sort of like vignettes you know villain of the week type of things to the next villain of the week and that continues with issue five so moon knight now gets a vision of chicago and he arrives in town just as a businessman is being killed by three female assassins in his offices uh, they also kill several of his bodyguards and staff and two of the assassins then end up dying during the fight. The third one hops out the window and gets away uh, in the process. Moon Knight actually tracks her down and finds out that she's after the men because uh, this man and his brother have been for decades, we don't really know how long, sacrificing children in some arcane ritual to extend their lives um, while murdering these kids. And so she then explains all of this, distracts Moon Knight, gets away, runs down, gets ready to murder the, the brother after finding him. And when Moon Knight gets there, he finds out that she's completely correct. He's, here's the guy. He's got a bunch of kids he's about to kill. They stop the sacrifice, and Midnight turns, and because the sacrifice has not happened, he was evidently cutting it pretty close, the guy turns to dust, and the woman then realizes that really she didn't have to murder all those people all she needed to do was stop the sacrifice and he would die. She feels bad and she stabs herself and, and kills herself in shame. So this is not only standalone, but good. Dwayne, go ahead. What do you got for me? It's kids being kidnapped for nefarious purposes. We, we've definitely seen that before. And uh, it is it is something that... Um, I'm not sure I'm a big fan of when it comes to uh, storytelling. There, I mean, the story was okay. We we learn about the existence of this white cobra. That's what these brothers yeah. were, were were doing this ritual for, uh, seemingly uh, to extend their life. But we don't really know why or if there was any like larger thing going on there kind of like the the omnium thing where it felt like maybe yep. there was something more going on here that we might come back to but we never really actually came back to uh it felt like they made a big deal about the assassins being women for some reason i don't know why that seemed to matter and i guess maybe i read it differently but the encounter where they kill one of the morgan brothers i think his name was virgil if i remember right and two of the assassins end up dying. I, it felt like to me they basically killed themselves, and then the third one escaped. But I think I one got shot, and the other one ended up was injured and yeah didn't want to be taken I, or something. I don't. Know. I, I I don't know, but it just it I was I I was like, well, why did those two? It felt like they killed themselves. And, and, like, we've seen that before. And, in yeah. fact, we see it at the end of the issue. And so we had this, and it was just, it was a little weird. Moon Knight ends up finding this assassin and, like, is holding her at gunpoint with her own gun, which was, I mean, we haven't seen Moon Knight carry a gun ever, yet mm -hmm. he's 
he he's holding a woman boy and just the the whole stopping of the ritual and the and the way the issue just ended felt really rushed to me and and just yeah. i did not particularly like this issue any more so than i liked the last issue here's part of the problem uh joe duffy's a good writer she's written a bunch of stuff that i like over the years but we just lost our we just lost our lead writer again right so we're four issues in the writer has gone the artist is gone. We're dealing with fill-in art where you're getting things like breakdowns and finishes and whatever. Again, this doesn't look good, right? The The wheels are coming off the Moonmobile before it even really gets out of the garage on, on volume two. Everything is just going bad. And this is a perfect example. It's a story that that really never goes anywhere. It's simply... It's simply kind of a generic villain and mm. something to fill space. So, again, probably that's all we need to say about this one. It is right. it is what it is. Uh, then we move to the last issue of Volume 2, which starts off, I have to say, spectacularly, because it's got a uh, Bill Sienkiewicz cover that is still one of my favorite Moon Knight images of all time. It's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't looked at Volume 2, Issue 6's cover, Go ahead and do that. But inside, then, we do not get Sienkiewicz. Uh, it's not as bad as it could be, though, because Mark Beecham is one heck of an artist, and I actually really like Beecham's stuff. The art in this is not going to be a problem. The art in this is a is brilliant, actually. Uh, the story is by Jim Owsley, and the bigger problem is that, again, it's just sort of a, a random catch-all issue that doesn't necessarily connect anything. It opens up with Moon Knight just in the Caribbean. Um, and essentially he's going to find drug runners. He's going to find junkie cops. And he's going to find vampires. And it's all going to turn into this redemption story for the cop, who's actually a customs, a customs agent, um, that's kind of really weird, very sad, and kind of a mess, actually, as the story goes. But I will say that this is probably my favorite of the stories in Moon Knight Volume 6. Um, so it's, there's a lot there to explain, but basically Moon Knight goes down to the Caribbean. He meets a girl. She betrays him to death to the drug runners slash vampires. Then she decides that that wasn't a nice thing to do, goes back and helps to save him, and is killed in revenge by the, the gang, at which point Moon Knight sort of accidentally scares the, the guy who killed her out of a, like, 10th story window to his death. So, that's our story. Yeah. the This was the best story of Volume 2, and it's not particularly close in my mind. Um, not just because of the art, though the art was actually really well done. Uh, we had more kids being kidnapped for... I did not get that Mother White which was the main villain in this, was a vampire. There was one panel where <laughs> she is smiling and you see the teeth, and I literally had to go back and look at it a second time before I realized, hey, wait a minute, that's why that they're sacrificing people, or that's, you know, that that's what's yep. going on here. And... Um, so, so that, I was like, what is this sacrifice? What is this sacrament thing they're doing? I don't get it. Is, 
is this a vampire? And I guess, I guess so. Um, Lenore Good is the name of the character that's the custom agent that's the drug addict that, that betrays Moon Knight here. I thought that was a very interesting character, actually, and very well fleshed out for being, you know, just a one-and-done issue sort of character. I mean, it, it was... I mean, I don't think it, I'm going to suggest that it's like Stained Glass Scarlet or anything, but at the same time, like, I... When we find out at the end of the issue that Lenore dies because the lone member of the cult of this Mother White that survived her blowing herself up, like a lot of Moon Knight's villains do, uh, goes and seeks revenge on Lenore and kills her right as she's thinking, I'm going to turn my life around now because of this experience I've been through, and then has it cut short. It was very foreseeable that was going to happen, yet it still felt very powerful that it did happen. And then Moon Knight, uh, you know, causing the other guy to to the to to fall out the window, I guess, as uh, as payment for that. Um, mm -hmm. I, it, it was it it was it was well done. I felt like, and it was like if all of the stories were at this level or more, this this would have gone more than six issues. This volume. Oh yeah, that's. I, I would I would say that's true, and it also felt more like Moon Knight in terms of the way that they they dealt with the character and a lot of the other things. The tone was more, you know, it was still there was still mystical elements, but it was more like the Moon Knight we'd seen in the previous volumes and and backwards. Um, it's also again for someone who's so obsessed with Marlene. Moon Knight finds himself in romantic entanglements pretty regularly mm -hmm. in these because he uh, ended up not going home after going and finding uh, Lenore there. So, or Lindra, Lindra Good. So it was, it was well done. It was an interesting story. I also think it's interesting that it was called The Last White Knight because yet again, it's almost like they've got a theme now of the last issue having this this sort of gallows humor to it. Um, my suspicion is they knew that this was going to be the last one going out the door when they published it. So, and in fact, I'm not even sure the title actually makes any sense to the story. I think it might have just been put on there because they because they knew this was happening. So, right. But that brings us to the end of the volume two. It was an uneven run, let's put it that way. And I yeah. think that... That when when we started thinking about Harrow being a villain, I wanted I went back to this, and I'm like maybe maybe you know, volume two is gonna be, uh, kind of a a touchstone, for for sort of the the whole series, and I can't believe it is now. I think that it's weird enough, and it's it's uneven enough that really there's not gonna be a lot here that we're gonna see in the TV show, or anywhere. Yeah. So. Um, so let's, 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 let's move briefly, on to the Marvel, yeah. Marvel previews. There's three of these, and we don't need to talk too much about these, just as a note. But Marvel preview number 30, then, is from 1987. So Moon Knight has now been over two years, or almost two years, without a title. And it's a little weird, because what we find is everything's back where it was in Volume 1. Steve and Marlene are together, they're at the mansion... Marlene decides she's going to take Steve away for the weekend because he's been stressing over his, all his multiple personality problems. 
Um, there's a crazy director at the place they go to vacation who's killing herds of deer so he can record the truth of their death for his movie. Uh, Forrest then gets angry. The dead deer turn into this poison ivy looking elemental woman and then she goes in and terrorizes the town and attacks the director and his crew. Marlene actually ends up fighting off the elemental who's turned into sort of a centaur type creature at that point. And then Moon Knight sort of gives the, the elemental a big hug and talks her down and convinces her to leave the town alone because nature is supposed to have a balance and does she really want to kill everyone and everything else. <laughs> and it's weird. So yeah. I just want to yeah, actually, it's... I just want to set the stage on this by saying that what I believe from reading the book and then some of the notes in, in the comic is I would bet Anne Nascenti, who's a really good writer, she wrote a lot of the or wrote or edited a lot of the X-Men stuff from some of the classic X-Men runs uh, in the 80s and 90s. I bet she wrote this story years earlier as something that would have actually gone into Moon Knight, Volume 1. They gave the art or the story to Brent Anderson, who's notorious for taking his time with stuff. His art's beautiful. He's done a lot of great stuff, but he does take his time. And it may have taken him a little while, like a few years, to actually draw it. He finally handed it into Marvel, and they're like, what are we going to do with this now? And so it went into fanfare, which allows them to get the Moon Knight character out there a little bit and to not waste this story and this art that they'd already commissioned. So, but it's a little weird. It's really weird. This story is terrible. I did not like this story at all. It was it was so bad. And and frankly, I you know, while I think the art was good in a vacuum, it did not feel like Moon Knight art. Based on the things that we've seen to this point, it looked completely different. I would, and I would it just was that. kind of kind of jarring. I think almost. Uh, just just reading it and and so i i i don't know i just all right i did i can't even say that i really remembered how this ended giving and so you know if you're telling me that moon knight basically gives gives this creature a hug and, and asks it to stop and it does then i'll agree with you because i don't really remember how this thing ended that's how kind of not great that, it was that is what happened I'm, I'm yeah. going to just reassure everyone that that is okay. what happens. I'm not sure that that makes it any good, but that is what happens. <laughs> no, I would no. I would say yeah. These Marvel Marvel fanfare stories, there's a few of them. There's like a George Perez Black Widow story, and there's a few others that are really good. But it really was kind of a place where Marvel could put their their sort of unused toys, stories that they'd commissioned, ideas they'd had that just didn't have any other place to go ended up in Marvel fanfare. And so the last two, 38, 39, if you didn't like 30, these probably aren't going to make you any happier. But <laughs> 38, actually, I do think had a place. Uh, it was written by Joe Duffy, penciled by Judith Hunt, uh, and it tells the story of a, a band, kind of a boy band called Pudunk Slam, that's stealing the youth of its fans through the use of this weird ancient death mask and so fans will go to the content the um concert and then wake up the next day or a couple days later as old people and the band just keeps staying young through stealing that youth and moon knight eventually guilts them into stopping that and the kids get young again and they all again sort of turn to dust um 
because this was written by Duffy, I think there's a, and because of the fact that you see uh, Spence in it and a few other things, I think this was actually commissioned for Moon Knight Volume 2 and probably would have been a part of that series if it hadn't been canceled. This also is a, probably a good indication that Moon Knight Volume 2 did not suffer a natural death, but just the sales of it or something else prompted them to cancel it, and they have been making plans for more than six issues, but just ended not, up not getting around to it. So, Yeah, that, that makes sense. It, it, I mean, this was an okay story. It, it, was, it was fine. It was... It was the main story in that in that fanfare issue, so it was about the length of a of a normal, you know, twenty two pages or or whatever. And uh, another kid, another story involving kids. I just keep coming back to it. It's just for whatever reason, there's lots of stories about thing people doing things to kids and uh, and Moon Knight having to stop them. There you go. But yeah, this we're we're gonna these are pretty much completely out of out of uh like continuity and we don't need to talk about them much so 39 again this one's actually problematic i would i would mostly just recommend everybody just ignore this one but it starts out with a a white guy dressing up as an arab so that he can go in and hold the un hostage and of course he jumps into jake lockley's cab lockley's back right again um and gets a ride to the un he then gives him a bad tip after he gets it, gets gets out at the UN, and Lockley's complaining about that. Goes to Gina's on the TV. It shows that the guy that he had taken in his cab is now holding the UN hostage, and Moon Knight then hurries back over, takes him out, and uses the fact that the man has light sensitivity because of epilepsy as his way of defeating him. After which he then refuses to pick up the next guy who's coming along in sort of Arab garb. And just drives off in his cab. So, what what do we Re- think of this story? Re- really bad story. This this was this was a backup story. This wasn't the main story in that issue. So it's only like an eight page story. So it was actually very short. Um, yeah, it was just all kinds of racist. Actually, it was just oh. profiling. It was it was it was bad. It, and and like using the guys epilepsy against him was you know yeah, i it's, guess it's it's sketchy on so many levels yeah. that this is just one that should have actually been burned instead of published yeah. i think so sometimes that happens um yeah I, i'd say let's just move on skip don't, skip don't go skip read that one do not do not read that in and do as a note also to many folks just as a a kind of an, an asterisk on this even if you want to read most of these stories, it's a little different, difficult these days because none of them are available on Marvel Unlimited. So you got to go and actually find, especially with fanfare, you might actually have to find the actual comics to be able to read these stories. So getting these for Dwayne, I had to go through a little bit of work on. Um, Moon Knight Volume 1, I think there are collections of, but some of the fanfare ones are tough to find. In any case... Uh, there are some fanfare issues out on Marvel Unlimited, but they've made the wise decision to maybe not have any of these three out there. So, just as just as a quick note, if you do try to find them, you got to do some work. Yeah. So, <laughs> just general reactions from the these set uh, this set of books. I I 
I I thought it was like like I said I still am not sure I I really understand what the what they were trying to do with with volume 2 and the changes that they made but obviously they didn't work. I the f- the fact there was no references to Stephen Grant or to Jake Lockley was weird to me. I was like so are they just now completely gone? Like forever? Are we not seeing those anymore or or what's going on? It just and and we had Frenchie gone, we had Spence in, we didn't have really the team anymore. The obsession of Marlene was was just a mess as well. It just there was there was not much to like about about these set of books this week, I think. I would say that the thing that bothers me is that when Moon Knight actually catches on, when you see Moon Knight as a character that's being successful, a lot of the things that make him successful are the exact same things that they decided to extract out of Volume 2. Right. It's his relationship to his supporting cast. It's dealing with some of the multiple personality things and the uh, personality disorders. And it's the fact that he doesn't actually really ever know is what's going on mystical or is what's going on just him imagining things, right? And they kind of took all of that away from us. They took all the mystery out and they also kind of ripped all of his supports away from him. And... In some ways, they, it just seems to me that in this one, the character's kind of lost. They tried to completely remake him, and it did not work. Luckily, it didn't work very quickly, so we don't have a lot <laughs> to deal with, right? Right. Just, but, but the unfortunate thing is that making that U-turn, making that error, really sent Moon Knight into the wilderness for most of the late 80s. So... We have spent years now, you know, be 85 this series started, and then it's going to be a while before we actually see him in his own book again. So I I was disappointed by these in retrospect. I knew I didn't like them when they came out, but now I'm, I'm better versed in my own head of why I didn't like them. That's because they were bad. So... <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I mean, you'll, you'll start to see this, you know, even just kind of having read what we have. When you don't have consistent creators on the book, it spells trouble. And the fact that we've got basically only two or three issues with the people who started this, and then you're seeing fill-in issues, and you're seeing new artists, and you're seeing groups of artists having to finish it out, it was, it was doomed almost from the start with the way they're doing this. So... But this was this was Moon Knight 3.0, right? We had our original Moon Knight, who's the mercenary, who just kind of gets given a costume. We've got the second Moon Knight, who's the guy who's resurrected by Khonshu and then goes off and has his three personalities. And now we've got Moon Knight 3.0, who's kind of this guy actually called by this mystical group of servants of Khonshu to be this force that is almost like an on-call servant of Khonshu. Um, so it's, it sounds like this is not going to end up being your favorite no. group of issues, but what, what was something inter? what, was there anything you did like about the change to the character? Is there anything you would like to see them continue on with 
No, not okay. really. I mean, I mean, I mean, it, I think from the standpoint of like a simplification standpoint, I think removing some of those personalities did sort of make things maybe a little bit easier. Um, but like, I don't know. I've been through now. 40 some issues so like I guess I was kind of okay with the fact that I had a superhero that had three alter egos that he just kind of went through uh, all all of them uh, you know whenever he needed to and that was just sort of a thing that happened and 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 I like part of what makes him unique yeah yes definitely and like I guess I liked I liked the toys that he was using I didn't necessarily need all of the uh, the kind of the mystical aspect of these random priests talking mm-hmm. to him, and so it was just like I don't, I, I, I don't necessarily know that there is things about this that yeah. I want to see continue. In and they didn't volumes. use most of them particularly yeah. well. Like you know, he had the Ankh that supposedly like glows or tells him when he's in danger or something, almost right. like a spider sense or or like you know the sting with the ability for the blade to glow blue when there's orcs around or whatever but they didn't really take advantage of that at all most of the things that were laid out in issue one ended up simply falling apart by the time we got to issue six so there was there was there were these quotes on the title pages mm-hmm. on issues two through six of the volumes and yes there i you know just as a for instance in in issue two we had on the title page, after such knowledge, what's forgiveness? T.S. Eliot. You know, the youth is spoiled on the young was another one in, in issue five. I don't get what the point of that was That's, either. Do you Do you have any idea what the deal is with Every with these once quotes? in a while. Comic books do that sort of thing when they're trying to pretend to hire literature or something like that. And this sort of puffery. It, it, it happens a lot. Um, Watchmen did a lot of things like that successfully. Some of the, you know, Alan Moore would do that sort of thing. So everybody else started having to do it at a certain point. But for the most part, yeah, it's it's stuff I tend to just ignore or wish wasn't there. But you, you, you seem know, surprised when I you, you seem surprised when I brought it up. I'm like, why I, is this there? I just block them out when I see them. I don't even take the quotes in. So yeah. I had to go back and look for them after you said they were there, actually. But, um, but yeah, that's pseudo, pseudo-literary pseudo nonsense that can be safely ignored if you'd like to. All right. At, so at least if, in my opinion. So if we were going to recommend some reads from this week, what, what would be the books that you would read? Um, I originally, I'd just written one and two, but after talking about it, I have to add six, because six was the best story. One and two in terms of kind of understanding what this iteration of the character is about, mm-hmm. but six was probably the most entertaining. And then I would ignore the fanfares, and I would ignore most of the end of, of volume two if you didn't have to read them. Save yourself the pain. Yeah, I had, I had books one, two, and six as well. I, I, I do think six was a standout issue in this, and, and it was just a good read. Uh, I don't think there's anything about that particular issue that's going to help you with regards to knowing the character for the TV series, but I think it's just good enough to have uh, just, just something worth listening to. Yep. Um, 
All right, let's jump into Moon Knight news. And again, we didn't have necessarily a ton of, of news. There was one interesting article slash video that I think was kind of worth uh, worth talking about briefly. Oscar Isaac and Jared Leto talked about their upcoming superhero roles for Variety magazine, and they had they had a video, and then they had the um, the transcription of the video. And they were talking about how they were in bands initially before and, and talking about, uh, you know, just acting and different things like that. And they got to talking about their characters. Jared Leto is going to be Morbius in, in a movie that's coming out. Uh, actually, not too long from now, I think in the next month or two. And then Os- obviously Oscar Isaac is, ta- is talking about Moon Knight. And there was a there was an interesting passage um, from from Oscar Isaac during this discussion, and, and I will I will read that for you. He says, "I've never heard I had never heard of Moon Knight before, and I collected comics when I was younger. I heard of Morbius, but I had never heard of Moon Knight. I don't know how the process was for you because it was a feature film. We're a limited series. There were a lot of room." to try stuff because there wasn't the pressure that we had to make sure we make however many hundreds of millions of dollars on opening weekend so we could take it very point of view we could make very weird decisions at the moment at least and i don't imagine it's going to go backwards it feels like there was more room for risk uh more more of a risk is being taken because it can financially so i think i think there was just a really interesting thing. One that Oscar Isaac was a comic book collector, but hadn't heard of hadn't heard of Moon Knight. But then he was talking about the differences between a movie and the expectations behind what you need to do for a movie premiere versus uh, what he's doing, which is a limited series. And it, I guess mm-hmm. there was also another comment in there that really made it seem like this is a one and done sort of shot, like. Like maybe WandaVision uh, was where where it's it's the story might end up being concluded at six issue six episodes and we might not see any more of this character beyond that. So, what what do you take from that from from that quote and and maybe anything else from that from that discussion, Dan? Well, I mean, I would say probably it sounds like Oscar Isaac was a Spider Man fan because Morbius is also C list enough that. If you've heard of Morbius but not Moon Knight, you probably were reading Spider-Man comics because he faced him a lot. Um, okay. And you probably were not on some of those others. But they're both a little bit obscure. If he knows Morbius, it means Isaac has some comics, probably. So more than that, though, I would say everything I hear from that sort of thing just encourages me that this is going to be interesting. What I like about WandaVision was it took chances and it was weird. Yeah. And it succeeded beyond expectations, probably partly because of that. And hopefully Moon Knight does that. What what I really don't just want it to do is be a Disney Plus version of Daredevil, you know. And I don't think we have to worry about that from what I'm seeing. It's going to be its own thing and it's going to be, going to be something that whether people love it or hate it, it will be different. And that's all I really ask. So... I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Um, also, going to be interesting to see Morbius. I'm looking forward to that too. So, why not bring it on? I, 
I think I think this isn't going to be your standard Marvel fare, whether it be the a TV series or or a movie series. Where I don't think it's going to look or feel like a lot of their other superhero movies and TV shows, and and I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't think I don't think that does Moon Knight the character justice if that if if he's treated like Spider-Man or like Iron Man or, or any of those other characters that we've seen to this point. And I think more than that, you know, even I, who I'm as invested in comics as really anybody should be, I'm getting tired of standard superhero movies, right? The, the model has been well-established and probably overused. So if Marvel's going to continue to churn out blockbusters for the next however long and make money and make people happy, they need to do things that don't just all feel the same. And that's why I think that, you know, a lot of the things that are coming up, She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel and, you know, they're, they're expanding into new territory and that's what they need to do. And hopefully Moon Knight does that as well. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, mostly, mostly as far as, as all of this, I'm just obsessed with the fact that Arthur Harrow is completely and utterly a lie. I'm, yeah. I'm just going with that now because okay. I'm, okay. I'm waiting to find out from the next trailer what's actually going on with all of this. So at this point, well, I don't believe anything. So. While we wait for the new trailer to come and we find out that Arthur Harrow might in fact be uh, the red herring, why don't you tell us about what's on the stack for next week and what, what, what do I have to look forward to as far as new comics go for, for the upcoming week? So we're going to take it a little easy on you next week by skipping West Coast Avengers. And I'll maybe have a couple comments just on what goes on during those to kind of catch you up on one or two things. But really... Nothing happens there that's enough that we're going to spend a whole week talking about the few things there. So we are jumping in to Mark Spector Moon Knight number 1 through 20. This is Moon Knight's longest ongoing series. Um, I'm going to have thoughts on it because we're now moving directly into the 90s, which is a time where a lot of people love the comics of the 90s. A lot of people hate the comics, comics of the 90s. Very few people don't have an opinion who were around during that time. Um, but these are actually interesting books. There's some things that go on. We will see, yet again, Moon Knight 4.0, right? So don't, Another reboot. Don't be expecting everything to be the way it was at the end of, of the issues we just finished. It, it all changes yet again. So... We'll, uh, we'll go in and look at those, and it should be fun. All right, that sounds good. I want to thank you all for joining us. We'd love for you to stick around with us as we continue this journey through the history of Moon Knight. We recommend you subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice so that you'll get each episode as soon as they're released. Uh, if you've already subscribed, please, please consider giving us a review. Uh, it will help others find this podcast. You could send us questions or feedback on the show via email. Uh, you could do that at questions at phasesofthemoonnight.com. And for updates on the show, as well as other announcements or to interact with us on social media, please follow the show on Twitter. We are at phasesofmk. Until next week, Dan, thank you 
for 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 showing me Arthur Harrow. So I have <laughs> something to go off of there. Oh man! All right. Well, we'll see how this goes. I uh, I'm deeply disillusioned by by <laughs> Moon Knight Volume Two, but we'll we'll move on and see what's next. Have a great week, everybody. See you soon. Thank you.